Welcome to the Mile High Flight Show, where a Jets fan and a Broncos fan get together to talk about the NFL and the world of sports. I'm your host, Ryan Marinholtz, joined as always by my wonderful co-host, Enrique Cisneros, and let's jump right into this. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing good, bro. Just excited to talk to you again on this beautiful Sunday, and excited to get into it today. Absolutely, right back at you. So we'll jump right into it with our weekly questions here. The first one. How many yards will Zach Wilson throw for in 2022? You know, we went from 2,000 plus to 5,000 plus and on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you guys chose 3,000 or more yards, which I think is pretty fair. I mean, you know, he's got some new weapons around him. You talk about C.G. Uzama. He goes to that tight end camp. And then you, all of the wide receivers you already had, uh, hopefully Braxton Berrios takes a step forward. Um, and then you add, in the draft as well, Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State. So, you know, I think like for me, 3,000 plus is on the conservative side. I think if everything goes right, he can get 4,000 plus. 5,000 plus might be a reach, but plausible. If everything goes perfect for you guys, he has a hell of a season. Yeah, I think 5,000 plus is, I mean, I'm not saying it's like impossible, you know, but it is on the very unlikely, in my opinion. I think he's going to be sitting somewhere between, like, <clears throat> if I want to give you, like, an accurate uh, stat line on it, I would probably say, like, I think he probably throws for, like, 38.92 or something. Mm. You know, like, real close to four. Yeah. Um, if he does break four, it'll probably be, like, 41, something along those lines. Yeah. Um, but, I, I mean, I, I agree with your, um, with your points completely. The fact that he does have so many more weapons to throw to, um, I think that he's going to have a equal running game as well. I think mm-hmm. our running game is going to be very uh, efficient, and that's just going to open up even more for him because teams are going to have to account for us now. Like yeah. before, um, before you could almost say like they didn't have to really worry. I don't know. I I don't know what teams were worried about last year with us. Maybe our passing game a little bit more. I would say that we were slightly more efficient passing the ball than we were running the ball sometimes, but it kind of varied week to week. So I'm not sure what teams were worried about last year, but this year for sure. I mean, we got um, fucking Michael Johnson. Oh, Michael Carter, Michael Johnson. Uh, Michael Carter, yeah, running the ball uh, behind Brees Hall. Um, You know, and I mean, I don't know why Brees hasn't signed his uh, contract, but once we get him signed up, um, you know, we can get him uh, focused on football, get him playing. And, uh, yeah, I really do think that with the passing pieces that we already had in Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, uh, Braxton Berrios, you know, and adding the new guys, I really do think that things are just going to blossom and flourish. I think that Zach Wilson should definitely look to uh, be on the reward end of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, low-key, I'm going to pick him up in fantasy football this year. I might, I'm going to pick up a lot of Jets, actually, which is surprising because that's not usually something you say when it comes to fantasy football. But, I mean, Zach Wilson could be a nice, like, pinch starter, depending on who he's playing. You know, Brees Tall, maybe Elijah Moore. Um, you know, I don't know if I'll go with the rookie, Garrett Wilson, on fantasy, but he's going to be nice in middle life. So, we might. Jamar Chase was nice for his rookie year, so. I'm expecting Garrett Wilson to give me a Jamar Chase here next year. Right. 
Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a few options that you could pick from. Like, I mean, you know, tight end CJ Uzama, and like you said, the weapons are already there. And Zach Wilson, they're set to even the running back. Shit, I mean, they're they're set to have a good year. You know what I mean? And a positive year. So I think that's totally reasonable. Um, and then, you know, the other thing we wanted to bring up when we're talking about Zach Wilson here is, you know, I heard there was a little bit of news going on around him. Oh yeah, um, dude. Zach Wilson, crazy. So my boy's a meme right now um, because, uh, and I, I heard that this is all rumors. It might not be true. It might not be true. So maybe we shouldn't address it, but it is hilarious. So uh, I do have to bring it up. And I mean, we're a Jets, uh, Jets show partially, you know, so it would be a disservice to the loyal Jets fans if we didn't talk about Zach Wilson being a little drama. Um, so apparently... You know, uh, it was a story throughout the summer uh, or getting into the summer from the spring that um, Zach Wilson had broke up with his longtime girlfriend. Um, you know, then he was spotted with some other chick. And I try not to get into the tabloids part too much, but, I mean, he is the quarterback of the New York Jets, so it just kind of comes along with it. And yeah. um, so now I guess uh, that said long-term or long-time ex-girlfriend uh, started sleeping with his best friend, and his college roommate and just his, I mean, his wide receiver at BYU, like his boy, uh, I guess they got together. Uh, they had posted some like picture on Instagram and then homeboy made her delete it. Um, but I guess that all stems because I'm not, sh I'm not sure exactly. I've heard two sides of it. I heard it's either it was bad dude's mom or just a friend of his mom's. But my boy Zach is uh he's a cougar hunter. Like <laughs> my boy either banged his homeboy's mom or banged his, his mom's homeboy, <laughs> which is crazy. Um because like if you go back and look at the and I know this I, I, I you know, I hate to get into this, but it is it is so fucking funny. Like, it is so hilarious. Um, but if you go back and look at, like, some of the memes that Zach Wilson was in beforehand, they were all, like, making fun of him because he looks like like a virgin, you know? Like, he just looks like, like, yeah. even that draft video where they show everybody all lined up, and they just have, like, little white boy Zach Wilson just, like, yeah. in between these two massive dudes. Like, little baby it's just, face. it's such, he's, like, such a, yeah, dude, like, he's just such a baby. He's such a cute little dude. Um, and so when you hear hilarious stories like this and the memes are golden dog, like the memes are gold. Like, <laughs> I know you, I know you don't have a Facebook, but I swear, um, I was scrolling through Facebook earlier today and the memes are golden and to, uh, to have the jets be in like a cool, funny meme instead of like the butt fumble memes or, right. I mean, like, come on, the jets are always on the ass end of all the jokes, you know? I mean, we're like a top three losing t uh, team, you know, losing franchise in the NFL. I would say like us, the Browns, and the Jaguars. Is, Is that yeah, fair? Some sort of combination of those. and But, I mean, at the end of the day, at least you guys have a Super Bowl win. You know, that's more than a lot of teams can say. So Do – yeah, the Chargers can't even say that. Yeah, I think they had like – Super Bowl appearances. I mean, so for, like Joe Montana 49ers, I think, even. But 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, fucking Zach Wilson, like you said, this is a good time in Jets football. You guys are on the up and up, and even the memes are on the up and up. It's a lot of the time the memes, like you said, the butt fumble and stuff, it's with the Jets are more uh, negative, where this is just kind of just funny. Like, it's just funny. And it's it's totally, like you said, almost tabloid stuff, but that's kind of when you're in New York-ish, New York Jersey, but still like that New York kind of PR, uh, everybody's under a microscope sort of attitude. Like he's, he's got paparazzi following him around and figuring out his relationship status. So it's pretty funny, but definitely had to bring that up for the memes. And uh, our next weekly question here, which NFC East team will win the division? Obviously we're finishing off uh, breaking down the division here. Uh, you know, started last week with the Giants and the Eagles. And then this week we will be visiting the Washington Commanders and the Dallas Cowboys. Um, but on Twitter and Instagram, you guys chose the Philadelphia Philadelphia Eagles to win the division. And I mean, I think that's reasonable. I think, you know, we'll get into it later, obviously going through the Cowboys and the Commanders, but I feel like both of those teams and the Eagles all have some sort of uh, stake uh, for the claim there or claim for the stake uh, when it comes to leading the division. And if not, at least being a wild card playoff team. But um, I think all three of those guys, or teams have an opportunity to grab it for sure. Um, I think the Cowboys, I would put for me personally, I'd put at the top of that list in terms of roster strength and like coach strength, quarterback play strength. I think Cowboys are number one. I think I would say Eagles and then commanders. And then obviously Giants at the bottom. What about you, Nick? Um, I, I, to me, if I'm being honest with you, the top spot in the division, uh, it, it has to be between the Cowboys and the Eagles. And if I'm being honest with you, Ryan, I'm gonna I'm gonna lean towards Philly, um, mm. and that's just solely based on. I mean, doing the breakdown last week, um, I really obviously got in depth with their roster. I got to see who was on the team. Um, and I, I just, I really do feel like CD lamb had a bit of help and this is going to be the first, and I'm not saying that, you know, he didn't do his thing and prove that he's capable of being a number one wide receiver. Um, but he had help with Amari Cooper. And so mm -hmm. to me, this is the first year of seeing how CD is going to do, you know, when he is the true number one wide receiver. And I mean, obviously we're going to get into it in just a bit, but there's just certain spots on the Cowboys roster that are a little thin where I think the Eagles, excuse me, uh, have filled in some of those thin roster spots. We talked about D tackle. We talked about corner um, and they didn't just like fill them in with like third level, second level guys. They filled them in with like premier players at those positions. Mm -hmm. um, Jordan Davis uh, coming out of Georgia, huge prospect literally and figuratively. Um, yeah. And then to get, yeah, exactly. And then to get James Bradbury um, from the rival Giants, I mean, I like I think that's not only a move for the team and the roster, but a team for the locker room too, because yeah. that guy's gonna come in there when they play the Giants and be fired up and get his boys going. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Especially if it's a cap room situation, um, you know, like you had said it was. You know, it's like, and we've talked about it on the show when uh, the Eagles signed him. Like you could have made. You could have figured it out for him. Yeah. So I just think with all those reasons, like, and then, but I will give you this. 
um, the quarterback play is the the biggest factor. Um, I, 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 I like I think AJ Brown is better than CD. I think Miles Sanders and Ezekiel Elliott. I think Zeke's better when he's healthy. Um, Miles Sanders is shown not to be as healthy, but Ezekiel Elliott has also had injury history the last few years as well. Um, and then even more so, the number two wide receiver, Devonta Smith versus, what is it, Michael Gallup? Um, yeah. So that's just going to be a little tough. But the the Dak Prescott versus Jalen Hurts argument is the one that you have to hang your hat on. And I do think that Dak's the more established quarterback right now. He has shown more right now. But I, I, I think Jalen's going to continue to go upwards. I'm betting on Jalen's upside um, on maximizing the potential of the Eagles. So, yeah, in a long roundabout way, I got to go with the Eagles. I think that's really reasonable. And, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I think it's totally reasonable to say any of those three teams – we're talking about the Commanders, Cowboys, and Eagles have uh, a claim for it. But I think, to, uh, to your point, the Eagles not only have established veterans, but they have young guys there developing when it comes to your quarterback. And you have a veteran wide receiver, but also a young one that's still developing, has that history with that quarterback. You know what I mean? Um, they've added players in their spots of need. And although some of those players are young and may take some time to develop, there's a really solid base around them and brought in some other vets too. You talk about James Bradbury um, and, you know, filling up that secondary. And I, I think that's totally reasonable. And I, I'm super excited. We've talked about the Eagles a ton this offseason, but I think honestly it's because they've got so much positive going on and so much momentum heading into, uh, like throughout this offseason, heading into the season uh, of a lot of really good moves and really intriguing moves. Um, so we'll just have to see how this division ends up playing out. But we were talking uh, off the air where, like, for the last few seasons, maybe not last season, I guess, but, you know, for recent history, the uh, NFC East has been viewed as a little bit of a weaker division. And so a lot of those teams were kind of rebuilding. Um, and now you're really legitimately looking at three potential playoff contenders. And the Giants are – they're – figuring things out but i don't know that they're going to be a huge factor this year and i just think that those three teams uh all have a chance at it but uh i'm you know cowboys or eagles i think are the top two but uh you're almost convincing me on the eagles being the top one and that's who you guys chose as well so uh, but with that we'll get into some of our news here uh mostly nfl stuff this week not a whole lot going on when it comes to the nba most of those big contracts and things in free agency happened uh, just kind of in a big chunk right, uh, right there. So, but for our NFL stories, the biggest one this week, Baker Mayfield traded to the Carolina Panthers for a 2024 conditional fifth round pick that can turn into a fourth, depending on how Baker plays. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a ton to talk about with this move. We've talked about the Browns a lot. I know I have a particular opinion on this one. Uh, and I mean, I feel like my, my positioning on it is I feel like this was the best move for Baker because he was legitimately wronged, depending on how you look at it, by the Cleveland Browns in the way that they went about this. Um, and I think that you talked about like him playing injured last year. And some will say that 
they put that blame on Baker for playing injured. I think there's a, a certain level of that where at some point you yourself need to pull the plug and be responsible. But I also think that that on the Cleveland Browns part, there's uh, blame to be laid in. They need to recognize, and the fact that they have the doctors telling them it's like, you know, he's injured. You should go to your backup option for his sake long-term and for the team's sake, because it's it wasn't a good option for him to play. You know what I mean? So you could talk about that all day, but I think that a fresh start was the best option for everyone involved. And uh, even though I heard a uh, alternative opinion that kind of like intrigued me of the, he was better off even with, uh, you know, the Browns situation and the kind of nastiness there, he would have been better off staying because he would have gotten an opportunity to play with Deshaun Watson's eventual suspension and be surrounded by a better supporting cast than in Carolina. And with his one year left on his contract, would be able to put himself in a better light going into that free agency offseason and be able to pick wherever he wants and have teams want him. And the point they were trying to make is that in Carolina, you may have a worse chance at that because you do have an unproven and like on the down head coach when it comes to Matt Rule potentially going to be fired this year if he doesn't go well enough or if the, if the season doesn't go well enough. Um, And you do have less talent on the roster than the Browns. I think that's very fair to say, but I do think it it was kind of underrating the uh, Panthers level of talent on that roster. Um, But with that said, I'd be interested to hear your position on this Enrique and how you feel about what Baker's best situation would have been for him moving forward between those two. Yeah, I mean, I I think that this is Baker's best situation regardless Um, because, I mean, Carolina still has to give Baker Mayfield a contract, right? And if I'm being honest with you, I think this is low-key a very strategic, like, move by Baker because Sam Darnold doesn't have a firm grasp on that job. So Baker has a – goes to a, a, a roster healthy now with a chip on his shoulder and I don't know if you remember Baker Mayfield grabbing his fucking ball sack at Oklahoma, but when <laughs> Baker Mayfield ha- has a chip on his shoulder, like, dude, at plays like that. He plays fiery, dude. Um, so he goes to a Carolina Panthers team that has enough talent to make a little noise. You got DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey. Um, you have a stud defense. Offensive yeah. line leaves a little to be desired, but, you know, with uh oh and then they got my boy from the titans uh what, what was their backup running back name i feel so bad um, um it's th- something heavy foreman hitter, you know, what, yeah 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 I, deonta foreman yes it's something, it's something like that but, but i totally can't remember off the top of my head unfortunately but yeah i, know, he's, I feel so bad he's such a he, stud and we were we, we, oh go ahead Oh, no, well, I was basically saying exactly what you were saying, so go right ahead. Oh, yeah, just that he's a stud and he's an amazing running back and we're terrible for not remembering his name. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, he, he really is a stud, and that was a good addition for sure. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. Is like that I, I do like to just look at alternative uh, opinions just to obviously filter out and say, like, you know, give yourself an alternative viewpoint to draw from 
um, and decipher whether you feel that's fair. And I do think in that particular case, they were underrating just how good this Panthers uh, roster is. I mean, again, I do think that it's, you can decidedly say that the Browns have a more talented roster on paper. Um, but if that defense can really perform better than it did last year and they have the talent to do so, um, and then you talk about that offense healthy with Christian McCaffrey, you have some backup options if they can balance that running game right and keep uh, Christian McCaffrey healthy. And having a capable passer is going to be almost the best thing for Christian McCaffrey because you talk about it's almost the same situation in uh, you know New York with the Giants where you have a potential, not even potential star, a star running back. When you talk about Saquon Barkley, you talk about Christian McCaffrey, but their usage is so high because they don't have a reliable passing game. And so not only are they running into packed boxes because the defense basically knows they're going to run the ball uh, because there's no, there's no passing game. You know what I mean? Like it just makes their life harder on top of the fact that they're already being used more because there's no um, passing game. And so now that Baker is there and no offense to Sam Darnold, but I think that, you can clearly say that Baker, in my opinion, obviously other people feel very differently uh, on just what Baker is as a quarterback. But in my opinion, I feel like Baker may feel it as a clear upgrade. Um, and if he doesn't show in camp that he's the starter, then you've got a, a, an issue on your hands. You know what I mean? Like if you're having an actual quarterback battle because Baker hasn't separated himself, then I think that you have an, an issue. But one other thing that I wanted to bring up real quick before I toss back to you on this topic was that because they only gave up, it was a conditional fifth round pick that can turn into a fourth. This is not a situation where you've traded multiple first round picks for a Russell Wilson. And so you basically are required to pay him and that they have the player almost has leverage on that contract. They did not, the Carolina Panthers did not give up enough that, if Baker comes out and isn't what they wanted him to be or what they hope him to be, uh, that they can move on without a whole lot of uh, headache. You know what I mean? And he's only got the one year left on his contract. So it's basically a, you know, can you be our future? If not, bye. Right. And, and I, I love that you bring that up because I'm, I was actually going to bring up the opposite point of that. I was going to bring up that, um, honestly, like this really works out for the Panthers too, because I am, yeah. I'm a big Baker Mayfield guy uh, as well. And so I think that, you know, if Baker comes in, does his thing, like, you know, maybe you're, I, I forget what we predicted the Panthers to win um, when we broke down the Panthers and I feel bad for that, but I don't necessarily think even with Baker Mayfield that they're going to win uh, more than 10 games. I would have to go back and, obviously listen to our show where we broke down the Panthers so elegantly, um, which if you haven't heard it, you can just go back and listen to it. Then you know what I'm talking about. But uh, if Baker fulfills his portion of it, he just becomes the franchise quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. He gets a giant contract. You know, he already has, he's he kind of low key in a, like a more fortunate Sam Darnold situation. Because I think he is coming into it with more talent than Sam. And um, I think that he's coming into it with a roster that's settled. And I think that he's worked with yeah. just as much in Cleveland before they really rebuilt around him. Um, that's or, true. Well, before they rebuilt for Deshaun Watson. And <laughs> yeah. also, um, 
this is like karma for the Browns. You don't get to like give Deshaun Watson the most guaranteed money in NFL history and then him not get suspended. Like he's going to get suspended all year, in my opinion. Like the, that's just what's going to happen. So mm-hmm. yeah, Baker, Baker moving on is good for Baker and his family. It's good for uh, the Panthers. I think because I think Baker's going to come in and do his thing and they're at least going to give him a three-year contract. In my opinion, I, I, I think a three-year contract, even if Baker's like mid, you know what I mean? Is worth it because, you know, you can, maybe you're not getting the best draft picks, but you can still get draft picks to rebuild the team. You have a guy that can win you some games, maybe get you into the playoffs again, um, depending on how, uh, you know, the strength of the schedule. But yeah, I think this is a knockout for the Panthers, especially for a fifth round pick. So I, I think this was a home run trade. And I think the Browns really, really fucked themselves. Because if I was Browns, honestly, as bad as it sounds, I probably wouldn't have traded Baker Mayfield. Probably would have sucked him off, so that way I didn't have to trade him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, from the Browns' perspective, certainly if you can have your cake and eat it too and go into the season with Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, while you're waiting for the Sean Watson situation to settle, um, I think that that's the best-case scenario for them. But, yeah, at the end of the day, there's human emotions there and – human uh stuff going on and i mean i think if the browns were more foresighted about it they could have approached the situation differently but the way that it happened i think is really what led and baker mayfield is is one of those fiery guys that will easily uh kind of you know kind of like the michael jordan like oh i took that personally he's kind of he's kind of one of those guys to an extent um and so i think that like there was a certain level of like, this was always going to happen in if you're uh, pursuing Sean Watson. But I do think that they could have handled it better if they were honest about the situation and like, Hey, we're going to upgrade, but we want you to stick around. You've got one year. This dude is probably going to get suspended. So, I mean, stay here, do your thing. And then we'll send you off in free agency. Like if they approached it like that, I think maybe it's a different story. But I think because of, at least for how it looks from the outside, you never know those private conversations or how it went down all the way. But it seems pretty clear from like both sides, how they've uh, publicly handled it, that it, it did not go <laughs> that, that like, you know, well. So, um, yeah, I think that this is the best move for, for all involved. And uh, also the last thing to bring up here before we move on, uh, the Browns and the Panthers play in one in week one. So that will be a very, very tasty game, a revenge game. You're talking a couple of those now. You talk about uh, not revenge necessarily, but Russell Wilson uh, and the Denver Broncos heading back to Seattle in week one. And then also Baker Mayfield and, uh, you know, going against the Browns with the Carolina Panthers and probably the Deshaun Watson list Browns as well. So uh, he may even come out on top there if they can, uh, you know, figure it out quick enough in Carolina. Yeah, and even more so, I'm pretty sure that the Browns have to pay him, like, money to play that. Yeah. You know, so it's going to be even better. Um, yeah, dude, like, week one in the NFL is a banger right away. You got Russ playing the Seahawks uh, yeah. against the legendary Drew Locke. And then you have uh, Baker, Baker playing um, the Browns. I wonder if Baker's going to get new a new commercial, though. Oh, he's got to. I'm sure they've got it. You think so? 
You think like even though, even though they traded him, you think that they could still do it? Well, they'll they'll probably do like a. I can see it now. They'll do like a moving commercial, where he's like got all the boxes Damn. and turning into like a moving truck. I guarantee you that's going to be what it is. Like they can't just not take it. Damn. I need like that. I need that so fucking bad. <laughs> right. I I need it so. I didn't even know I needed it, but now I need it so bad. No, now you need it. Yeah, exactly. But uh, well, exactly like the Carolina Panthers, they didn't know they needed Baker Mayfield. Now they got it. Now they need it. So we will see how that goes down in Carolina. But our next NFL story here: Falcons signing a steady veteran in Eddie Goldman, uh, defensive lineman, to a one-year deal. Uh, obviously, at this point in the offseason, we're not talking about any groundbreaking moves or anything. Uh, but, you know, a solid move by the Falcons uh, to shore up that defensive line. Obviously not expecting a whole lot out of them this year necessarily. Uh, but, you know, it never hurts to help your run game, helps your pass game. Yeah, so what are your thoughts on the Eddie Goldman to uh, Falcons move, Enrique? Um, I, I think this, this was a move that was uh, pretty necessary for the Falcons as they look to just try to get um, get some talent on that roster. You know what I mean? And maybe Eddie Goldman's not going to completely solve everything, um, all the problems that they have, you know, but he goes down to a system that I think Eddie Goldman can, um, can really have a impact in, um, you know, I, I think he, cause he's a, like a bigger no tackle type guy. Um, so I think that he'll, go down there and be able to find a home. Um, he is uh, following Ryan Pace down there, who is the GM with the mm-hmm. Bears. Uh, so, you know, he's going at least into some familiar faces. And, um, yeah, and then even more so, um, you know, he's got Grady Jarrett, you know, to play behind. And, you know, it's only going to help the defensive line, obviously. It's kind of like the Solomon Thomas move with the Jets. So it's one of those things that it just, you know, familiar faces. Um, it's got, he's got, the team's got a need for it. And yeah, it's, good, it's a good pickup. I love it. I agree. Yeah, I love that detail you added. I did not uh, realize that connection, but it makes a lot of sense. And then our third story here uh, Justin Houston agreeing to a one year deal to return to the Ravens. And yeah, I mean, kind of similar to Eddie Goldman, you're looking at a veteran filling in that spot for now. Not going to be amazing, but he's going to be a solid body there that won't mess things up. So, uh, yeah, pretty happy about that one. Yeah, absolutely. I um, the Ravens like just have this knack of like really nailing their free agency signings, and exactly what you said, Justin Houston's going to bring that nice veteran presence. He's already been a Raven um, for a little while now, right? At least a year or two. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, and I think Justin Houston can, still has. I, I've always really been high on Justin Houston. Um, I, I know that he, obviously Father Time has dropped his production a little bit, but I think you know for the type of role that you're looking for with him on that Ravens defense, I do think that he's like a very nice pickup uh, to get back with them. And yeah, uh, I love to see love to see these guys I've seen play forever keep getting opportunities to play. So. Uh, yeah, congrats with, to Justin Houston. Absolutely. And then our next and final NFL story here this week, uh, Las Vegas Raiders hire Sandra Douglas Morgan as team president. 
She represents the first black female president in NFL history. Uh, Douglas comes in after Dan Ventrell was fired after reporting concerns of a hostile work environment to the NFL. And the Raiders chose not to comment on Ventrell's allegations, uh, though the league is looking into them. But Douglas, in her introductory press conference, mentioned that she's not here to sweep anything under the rug or avoid problems that need to be addressed. So, you know, a little bit of a tumultuous situation over there in Las Vegas. Uh, But, I mean, you got to at least, you know, tip the cap uh, to the first black female president hire in NFL history. Uh, Some groundbreaking broke there. And uh, as we've talked about, I mean, the Raiders have historically uh, been on the forefront of the league in a lot of those types of moves. So, uh, you know, obviously congratulations to Sandra Douglas Morgan. Uh, And yeah, I mean, we'll have to see how that goes. Um, You know, I mean, you just hope that that gets uh, resolved because you never want a hostile work environment for anybody. Um, And, but yeah, the kind of details around it are just a little like, but you know there's positives and negatives so what are your thoughts Enrique yeah if I'm being honest with you um, I'm not trying to sound like I didn't know what was going on but I don't know what's going on with the Raiders I didn't hear about this guy uh, um, you know having these comments about the Raiders at all Um, so I'm very interested in getting the scoop Um, might have to really dive into this but um, I don't want the negatives of the story to take away from the outstanding positives uh, to have the first black female president in the NFL. Um, right. That's just such a, just such an astounding thing to happen, um, especially in a time where, I mean, if I'm being honest with you, the NFL is getting sued right now, you know, by a former yeah. coach and, um, you know, over racist concerns, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick, for a long time, you know, had, um, and I mean, we can go on and on about the cap situation for sure. I know that you feel strongly about it and I do as well. Um, but, you know, there was uh, concerns in regards to Colin Kaepernick that, you know, maybe there is something to do with um, the way he protested. Um, and so to see a, uh, a colored person in this position is amazing. Um, you know, as a father to daughters, uh, to see uh, a woman in this position is amazing. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's wholeheartedly something that I'm just very, very glad to see. Um, and even more so, uh, my mom and my grandma um, are Raider fans, you know, so oh, wow. they're able to, yeah, they're, they're able to um, kind of, you know, be a part of the, uh, that history, um, you know, by just literally supporting their favorite team. Um, you know, which is it was now going to be, you know, under uh, heavy influence by, you know, a colored woman. So, uh, yeah, I love to see it. I love to do, uh, I love to see stories like this. And especially um, when someone gets an opportunity to really um, make an impact in such a profound way. So, yeah, yeah I, I, I really hope that uh, she's able to do her thing. I hope that the stuff that comes out about the workplace is able to get figured out because it would suck to put her in such a tough position right away. But, you know, I'm sure that she's uh, up for the task of, uh, you know, taking care of whatever the Raiders need her to take care of. So congratulations to her for sure. And yeah, I just hope it all works out. Absolutely. Yeah. Very well-spoken Enrique and uh, a lot of great points. And, you know, it's one of those situations, like you said, where you don't want the, the negative, uh, cloud around it 
to outweigh what a monumental, you know, uh, point in history this is uh, for the history of the league and, uh, you know, all of that. And so, uh, you know, we are just congratulating her and we hope that, uh, you know, like she said in her introductory press conference, I was very uh, encouraged by the words spoken that she, like, because she even said uh, when she was approached about uh, the opportunity, she was obviously very excited and honored, but had questions, uh, you know, and was very skeptical when it came to some of those things. And uh, totally to your point, during this offseason, it's honestly, it's been crazy because there really has not been a lot of talk about it. And it was, I want to say it came out, if it wasn't during free agency, it was, it was somewhere in the mix in the offseason and just kind of got swept under the rug a little bit. Um, and so, you know, it's almost a good thing in a sense that that's now being brought back to light. So maybe people that didn't see it the first time are seeing it again. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, the NFL is looking into it, but like you just talked about, they're being investigated for, uh, you know, what's going on in Washington, uh, as well as what's going on uh, with the uh, with Brian Flores and uh, his, uh, you know, lawsuit as well. So just a lot of stuff going on, a lot of moving pieces. But at the end of the day, uh, congratulations to Sandra Douglas Morgan and a piece of history there. So, uh yeah, and then with that, that is going to do it for our sports news section uh, this week, and we'll move on to our breakdowns, starting with the Dallas Cowboys. Enrique, it's all yours. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Um, I was super excited to break down the Cowboys. I have tons of Cowboys uh, fans in my family, um, so I was, you know, ex- I have an Ezekiel Elliott jersey, but that's mostly because I liked him coming out of Ohio State. Uh, mm-hmm. Anywho. So uh, the GM of the Dallas Cowboys is obviously Mr. Jerry Jones slash owner. Um, I still think that if I owned a football team, I would Jerry Jones the fuck out of it. Like oh, for sure. I would be, I would be in that shit. I would be fucking holding pads for guys. Like I would be <laughs> fucking out there. I would, dude. Like no, I would. Are you serious? So the fact that the fa- yeah, exactly. The fact that Jerry gets to be the GM is cool. Um, so yeah, Jerry Jones, GM, uh, head coach Mike McCarthy. Um, now, uh, I don't know um, the playoff disappointment that the Cowboys have to face sometimes, especially last year after such a, a a very good season. I mean, the Cowboys had a really good year last year. They had a uh, you know, I, I think the uh, Michael Parsons uh, won Defensive Rookie of the Year, if I'm correct. Um, you know, so mm-hmm. that's a very uh, outstanding accomplishment. They made the playoffs and they ran into Debo Samuel and Jimmy Garoppolo. And it just be like that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure exactly how everyone feels about Mike McCarthy. He is a, I don't know. He, he, I, I do think that he has to get some stuff underneath his belt down there in Dallas to, to keep his job. I don't necessarily think that he's on the, uh, on the hot spot yet. But I think another um, uh, a season without a playoff win would look very bad for him. So um, I guess we'll see what happens throughout the year. But the Cowboys, uh, regarding at least team building wise, um, I think they low key really nailed um, a lot of their draft picks. Um, so getting into their draft class in the first round, they took offensive lineman Tyler Smith. Um, the second round, they took defensive end slash linebacker Sam Williams. 
In the third round, they took Jalen Tolbert, a wide receiver. Uh, fourth round, they took a backup tight end, Jake Ferguson. Um, and then in the fifth round, one of their many fifth round picks. I, I like when I was doing the research for this, I did not believe how many fucking picks the Cowboys had in the fifth round. Like, okay. it just like reminded me of Madden when you just like randomly have like fucking eight sixth round picks and you have to like <laughs> yeah. trade all them shit. The Cowboys just said, fuck it, we're going to take somebody. And <laughs> I mean, that's what the draft's for. You know, you throw as many darts as you can on the board and yeah. hope that one of them sticks. So, but one of uh, the first of their many uh, fifth round picks was uh, offensive tackle Matt Walitziko. Walt, I don't know. Everybody knows. I just fuck up everyone's name. If it's not like Jake Ferguson or Zach Wilson, just a very easy name, <laughs> I fuck it up. So, uh, sorry, Matt. But um, second of their four fifth round picks is going to be Deron Bland, a corner. Uh, then they went with linebacker. Uh, Damon Clark, see, and that one was easy too. Uh, and then uh, defensive <laughs> tackle John John Ridgeway um, rounds out their fifth round picks. And then to round out uh, the draft class entirely, uh, they doubled down on a linebacker and got Devin Harper as well. Um, a few a few notes of the draft picks. Obviously, you know, you're hoping that your first three guys, rounds one, two, and three, those are your, you know either like meaningful snaps, like they're playing a a large percentage of snaps for you or they're a starter. You know, you want those guys to, uh, you know, contribute right away. And I thought the Cowboys first three picks, they really did nail it. Um, You know, in my opinion, Cowboys fans may have a different opinion. Um, I think, you know, the big boy over on the left side is getting a little old. Um, He's had uh, not like tons of injuries in his career, um, but, you know, Tyron Smith is getting up there in age. And so you have to eventually look to replace him at left tackle. Um, Not saying that you need to do that right away, but if Tyler Smith can come in, learn underneath him, and even more so he plays tackle and guard on the left side. So he just adds tons of versatility and adds depth in case something does happen to Tyron Smith. And it has happened before where the Cowboys have been without him uh, for an extended period of time. So I think it gives you balance. Uh, and I think the one thing that the Cowboys really did very, very well was constructing that offensive line on the low key. You know, they took um, Zach Martin and, you know, obviously it started with Tyron Smith, but then they had the run with Linnell uh, uh, Collins. That's part of the Bengals now. Um, you know, just so many guys that have really, uh, they've just been able to slide guys in and out on, on, that, up, on that offensive line. Jeez. Um, to keep the talent level there, you know? And so I think the first round pick, Tyler Smith, you know, he can play guard, he can play tackle, gives them a backup at tackle in case something happens to Tyron. And, you know, he's probably, he might start um, at the left guard spot, right guard spot, just kind of depending on what's going to go down the season. Obviously Zach Martin's got um, his job locked down uh, being an all pro himself. So, but that's the guy you get to learn under, you get to learn under Tyron Smith, like, one thing about the Cowboys, I, I think they have a, a knack to develop offensive linemen, um, especially of the late years. Um, so I think that they nailed it with this first round pick, especially when, I mean, you could have argued that they could have took a wide receiver. I'm not saying that there was um, like a good or not a good one. I can't say that, but you know, they could have took like maybe a 
Zeke replacement in the first round, maybe a brief haul even, um, mm-hmm. or a safety. The Cowboys are always in need of a safety. Um, but ultimately they took the safe pick, and I thought Tyler Smith was a good one. Um, now getting into their second round pick, Sam Williams, um, I, I love this pick as well just because they're adding another pass rusher to develop along Micah Parsons, and he's learning from Demarcus Lawrence. You know, uh, a, lot, a lot of guys on the Cowboys uh, staff right now is comparing him to Demarcus Lawrence and to Demarcus Ware. You know, so he they say he's the next hybrid in between there. Lots of speed and explosion. Um, you know, just has good size, good pass rush. And, when you know, when you have a guy like Mike, Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence, you can really allow those other guys to sneak in there shine. You know, mm-hmm. so a- adding a second-round pick with – such, um, I guess, what would you call that? Like a high enough ceiling uh, that can kind of like sneak in there and get those sneaky sacks, get those numbers that, you know, are kind of missing, you know, from like a third guy. Um, And also giving them, you know, um, some depth behind DeMarcus Lawrence, you know, because he's missed time before as well. You know, yeah. so I think I really do think that the Cowboys uh, nailed it in their second round pick. Uh, and then with their uh, my last pick that I want to point out is that uh, Jalen Tolbert, the third round pick, the third round, third round wide receiver coming out of, uh, I think it's Southern Alabama, something like that, real small school. Um, but the Cowboys didn't see him as a small school guy. Uh, they said when they see, saw him at the senior bowl, he you know, matched all their expectations. The lights weren't big enough for him or too big for him. Um, and, you know, he's just a high motor guy, high football IQ guy, high effort. Um, and I think that, honestly, he has the opportunity to really fight for meaningful, uh, a meaningful spot on this Cowboys roster. Obviously, you want your third-round pick to do something right away, but I really do think that he can um, provide, like, quality snaps right away, especially with a thinned out depth chart with Amari Cooper being gone, mm-hmm. um, everybody gets pushed up once. And if you can, you know, rise to the challenge, like you can take a spot. And I don't necessarily think that Michael, Michael Gallup is this elite talented wide receiver that's going, like he's not beating CD Lamb for the number one job, but he can possibly slide in there for number two, number three, um, and, you know, really, really do something for his offense, especially with Dak Prescott. Um, you know, he's just always been able to find other wide receivers um, while still giving his wide receiver one love. Um, so I really do think Jalen Tolbert, Sam Williams, and Tyler Smith are going to play big roles in the Cowboys uh, Cowboys team going forward. And I think that this was a perfect way to start getting guys in, in that rotation and start developing guys for prime positions that you're going to need later. Um, you know, a, a thing that I heard the other day, um, well, because I've been on a, a Jets flight 2020, is um, a, oh, it's actually an Ozzie Newsome thing. Ozzie Newsome said it. Um, oh. You know, a luxury pick today is a, a need tomorrow. Um, oh, yeah. You know, so the fact that the Cowboys were able to add three quality players with the top three picks and then add, you know, lots of special teams, guys and guys that, you know, have some high upside in the later rounds, especially with those four fifth round picks. They had nine players all together coming into their draft class. And I think they added real quality guys. So I'm excited to see what happens. 
Um, but speaking of adding players to their roster, we'll get into the Cowboys roster a little bit. So obviously quarterback number one is going to be Dak Prescott. Um, I got Cooper Rush backing up Dak. Um, obviously I'm hoping for another style of year out of Dak. Um, I love to see him come back and play at a high level like he did this year, um, especially after that injury. Um, so yeah, love to see Dak back. Um, and then I got Cooper Rush backing him up. Getting to the running backs, running back one, we got Ezekiel Elliott, obviously. As long as he comes back healthy, he's going to lock this spot down. We got Tony Pollard, who's an awesome change of pace back. Um, honestly, Tony Pollard sometimes outshines Ezekiel Elliott, depending on the day. Um, yeah. You know, he's he's viable in special teams. He's viable in the passing game. Uh, and he, you know, he adds a nice uh, change of pace to Ezekiel Elliott's violent running style. Um but I am hoping to see Zeke back in tip-top shape. Um, the Cowboys do run a fullback. That's going to be Ryan Nall. And then to uh, back up Tony Pollard as running back three, we got uh, Rico Dabble. Um Getting into the wide receivers, obviously wide receiver one is going to be CeeDee Lamb. Um, then I got James Washington, Jalen Tolbert, um, Simi Fihoko, Noah Brown, and yeah, I, I mean, I think ultimately the the big question to me on the wide receivers is if CD Lamb's going to be able to um, really uh, establish himself as the wide receiver one. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not saying that he can't do it. I just, I don't know. I, I think I just have my doubts a little bit because I haven't seen it quite yet. Um, he's put, he's put up real solid numbers with. Mari Cooper there, but without having Amari there to take that heat off of him, I really would like to see how C.D. Lamb performs with the uh, opposing defense number one uh, corner on him. Um, and I mean, the nice thing is, and we'll get into their tight ends real quick. Um, they have Dalton Schultz, who's a you know premier tight end. I think he's an up and coming tight end. I think he's going to be really really good. The Jets were very interested in him coming into free agency this year, but the Cowboys resigned him. Um, so getting into their tight ends now, Dalton Schultz is their tight end one. Uh, Jake Ferguson, the rookie, obviously is going to back him up. And then Sean McKeenan is uh, their tight end three. Um, so, I, I mean, I just mentioned Dalton Schultz a little bit. Very uh, up-and-coming tight end. Uh, very nice receiving bet. Got good size. And so I think ultimately he's going to make big noise this year. I'm looking for him to have a big season. Um, but then I think that the rookie is going to be able to add some quality snaps this year as well. Um, you know, picking him in the fourth round, not a bad spot to get a tight end. Um, even if they missed on some of uh, the bigger names that got taken in the third round, um, you know, still a very solid tight end. Um, and I'm excited to see what the Cowboys tight end room brings. Um, offensive line, we'll get into uh, at left tackle. We got Tyron Smith um, backing him up and, you know, taking over right tackle duties is going to be Terrence Steele. And then their swing tackle is going to be Josh Ball. And then their left tackle, number three, is going to be Matt Waliziko, uh, the rookie. Uh, right guard one is going to be Zach Martin. Right guard two uh, and left guard one is going to be Tyler Smith. Um, the swing guy for the interior right now is Connor McGovern. 
which good luck with that. We had Connor McGovern last year. Um, center one is going to be Matt Farnoke, and then backing him up is going to be Tyler Beadizis. And then getting into their defensive side, we got left end one, Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, and then over on the other side, at right end, you got Dorrance Armstrong. Backing up Dorrance Armstrong is going to be the rookie Sam Williams. Backing him up at right end three is going to be Dante Fowler. And then backing up our left end, uh, Demarcus Lawrence is going to be Chauncey Goldston and Terrell Basham. Nose tackles, we got John Ridgeway, the rookie, Quentin Bohana. Backing him up. Uh, defensive tackles, we got Osa. Osa Odijizua. Wow, that's a hard one. Naval Gallimore. Dude, super hard, right? Odijizua. Yeah, I mean, this cool is the best one. Yeah, it is a cool looking name. Um, the Giants actually have a dude like under like the same name influence on their, uh, like they're on the other side of Kayvon Thibodeau. So, oh, dear. Uh, yeah. Um, Anyways, uh, defensive tackle number three is going to be Carlos Watkins. Um, so that's going to be their defensive line group. Uh, linebackers, you got the stud, Michael Parsons. Uh, their rundown linebacker is going to be Leighton Vanderesh. Uh, pass down linebacker is going to be Jabil Cox. Um, honestly, I'm surprised Leighton Vanderesh is still on the roster sometimes. And not because, I mean, his play has came down a little bit. But dude was hurt for like yeah. a good number of years. So I really like I, I guess I'm surprised and low-key kind of proud of the dude for being able to stick on to the Cowboys. But it also, yeah. you know, Jerry's been known to kind of like hold on to guys that he like likes, even if they kind of suck. But anyways, um special teams linebackers, you got Luke Gifford and Devin Harper. Uh, getting into their cornerback room, you got Trayvon Diggs, who I'm 50-50 on for sure, um, but he is their starter. And, I mean, he did have like 11 interceptions last year, so it's pretty uh, pretty outstanding year by that regard. Um, Anthony Brown is going to be uh, cornerback two. Calvin Joseph, uh, Jordan Lewis, Nishan Wright rounds out um, their top five corners. And then special teams um, – you got C.J. Goodwin, who's uh, going to be from the cornerback room, but he's probably going to make the team through special teams. So as far as their um, safety goes, safeties go, they got Malik Hooker starting at free safety, Jerron Kirsch starting at strong safety, and then backing those guys up is going to be Donovan Wilson, Israel Mukuhama, and then uh, Marquise Bell. And then to round out the roster altogether, the special teams, kicker is going to be Jonathan Gary Bay, punter Brian Anger, and then long snapper Jake McQuaid, which is a cool name. Um, so the only thing I can really say about the roster is the questions that I have at least are, can this roster take an injury? If there's a big injury to Trayvon Diggs, how does – how does Anthony Brown, you know, fare as the cornerback one going against some of the wide receivers? And we'll see their schedule in just yeah. a second. But 
um, safety wise, you know, Malik Hooker, J. Ron Curse, nothing, nothing against those guys, but um, those aren't, I wouldn't say like premier safety talents. Um, I mean, linebacker, I think you're kind of okay, um, but I mean, an injury to Michael Parsons would be deadly. Like pretty much, the Cowboys have like a solid starter or a star at most of their positions, but if they get hurt they don't necessarily have the depth at all the positions to withstand a blow like that. So, I mean, I think the offensive side is a bit hand or a bit more capable of handling an injury than the defensive side is. But I mean, just looking at the starting, um, starting 11 on both sides, um, you just have guys that I believe can really do some damage if everyone stays healthy. Um, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's that's what we uh, that's what everyone says about the Cowboys every year. Is if they could stay healthy, if they could do this, if they could do that, and not make noise. So, um, I guess we'll just have to see. What do you think about their roster, Ryan? Yeah, I I mean, I think you nailed it first of all, and I think you nailed the the big questions too. Is like there is talent across this roster, pretty much across the board. They have starting like a nice starting roster. But then you look at their depth and there's a lot to be desired, uh, especially defensively, like you mentioned. And, um, you know, in particular on uh, Trayvon Diggs, I'm, I'm kind of right there with you on 50-50 because, like, you think about somebody like Marcus Peters, who is a positive example of how that sort of play style can work. But in my opinion, I think Trayvon – Diggs needs to do one of two things. If he's going to continue playing the way he did in his rookie year, he has to be consistent with the, the sheer volume, which tends to be like of uh, the amount of takeaways he gets, which tends to be like a very volatile thing year to year. And so if you're missing that many plays and then you have a down couple years of the turnovers too, and you just don't get as many, um, then you're not in a good place. You know what I mean? So if you can improve on your general coverage and then still be able to pull off those uh, sneaky plays and get those sneaky interceptions, then, you know, I think you're in business to be a, like, year to year, like, you know, all-star freaking cornerback. Uh, but he's just got to give me that consistency. Otherwise, I, I don't know if he can keep up uh, – the consistency in the turnovers. And I think that that would be a way that his career would maybe flame out. If that's Yeah, true. absolutely. I, no, and I agree for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that Trayvon Diggs is one of those. I think, honestly, what was the stat that they gave for him last year? He allowed a 1,000 receiving yards on him um, just throughout the year altogether. Um, um, and, I mean, honestly, there was there was times where – and that was like most in the NFL or second most or something. But there was times where dude did get burnt like toast. Like yeah. uh, there was times, I mean, you know, Broncos fans know, especially because they beat the Cowboys ass last year. Um, like there was times where Trayvon Diggs was able to get exposed. Um, and I mean, obviously I'm a big fan of his brother, Stefan Diggs. Um, but yeah, we definitely, we definitely need to see some, um, some overall improvements um, from Trayvon Diggs besides just the explosive takeaway plays to uh, believe that he's going to be a quality superstar corner um, 
you know yeah. and i mean i'm just i'm hoping because dude his son is adorable as fuck like yeah. aiden Diggs is so cute so yeah i love to i love to see those videos where he's like making fun of dak prescott he's like yeah. talking about he's like talking about his dad he's like that's my dad right there it's trayvon <laughs> so yeah i love to see that shit so yeah absolutely um I agree. Thank, uh, I agree to all your points. Thanks for, uh, thanks for bringing that up. So get into their schedule. Um, right away, week one, you got Tampa Bay uh, coming into town. And I believe this, this is the first Sunday night game. Am I correct on that? I believe so. Yeah, I think so. Um, so, I mean, obviously, huge game right away. Um, but I do think at home, they have a little bit of an advantage. Um, and I do think that they have enough talent to uh, beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I do think they take a dub. But then we, too, they have a, another very stiff challenge in the Joe Burrow-led Cincinnati Bengals. Um, and I think they actually lose this game. Um, and that's only because I believe in the Bengals. Um, they, I just think that they have probably the most dangerous wide receiver uh, core in the league. And I don't think the Cowboys have enough uh, in their secondary to cover all those guys, in addition to Joe Mixon on the ground. So, um, yeah, with that being said, I have the uh, Cowboys losing to Cincinnati week two. Um, but that's a big game as well, and I'll get into that in just a second. Week three at the New York Giants, I have them winning. Week four, uh, Washington comes into Dallas. I have them winning. Um, week five at L.A. Rams. That's have them losing it uh week six um at philadelphia have them losing it i do have uh and we'll get into it in a second i do have them splitting the series with the eagles i uh, i think that the eagles get the edge uh, in week six just because they're at home um and then you get into week seven which is the lions i think the cowboys can beat them the bears week eight i think the cowboys can beat them and then their bye is week nine week ten is going to be at Green Bay, which is going to be a huge game. Uh, I think they come out of the bye ready to go, ready to play. Um, and I think that they take the dub. Then they go to Minnesota, and I think they win there. Uh, they get the Giants back at home. I think they win. They get the Colts at home. And I think that that's the biggest difference is that uh, the Cowboys get to play this game at home, and that's why they win. But otherwise, I think that's a huge game as well. Rather than being the Texans. I have them going to Jacksonville and beating the Jaguars. I have them beating the Eagles. Uh, so, I mean, that, like I said, that's going to be the game that's in Dallas. Um, that's why I think that the Eagles will lose. But that's a huge game because it's going to be uh, week 16, probably going to be fighting for some playoff position, probably going to need this stuff to decide, you know, who's going to be seated or who, who's going to even get into the playoffs. And then week 17, you're going to Tennessee. I think they could still um, pull that off. Um, but I can see a world where they lose this game as well. Um, and then week 18, and this is a to be determined where it's going to be played at, but they're going to be playing the Washington Commanders. And I think that they're, I think they'll be able to uh, beat Washington um, just based on quarterback uh, play right now. I just, I don't think that Washington has a better quarterback than Dak Prescott is. So, um, right now, I have the Cowboys in a couple of games. The Cowboys, honestly, are only losing three games. 
um, leading them at 14 and three. But it also depends on how they play against these big teams. I think like the Tampa, uh, the Tampa Bay game's huge. Cincinnati's huge. Both the Eagles games are huge. The Rams game is huge. The Packers game is huge. The Colts game is huge. And that's just because, you know, these are the top quality teams. Like these are teams that are going to be potential playoff teams and or in the playoffs for sure. Um, I mean, Cincinnati just went to the Super Bowl. Tampa Bay was a game away. Uh, the Rams just won the Super Bowl. Packers were uh, knocked out of the playoffs. Um, you know, the Vikings could be good. Uh, the Colts obviously are expecting, honestly, to try to make a run uh, for the bowl. So it's one of those things that, you know, you have really tough teams. And obviously with you being an uber talented team yourself, you can compete against those teams. But if you lose all the games, you know, it's going to be hard to, one, you know, feel any sort of confidence having to play any of those teams in the playoffs again. And I, I think that the biggest key for this Cowboys schedule is to just to take advantage of their weak games. They have to win all the all the winnable games. Like, you're, you have to beat the Lions. You have to beat the Bears. You have to beat the Giants. Um, the Commanders. You've got to need it for sure. There shouldn't be any doubt in your mind that you could beat those guys and those guys need to be beaten. Um, and that should hopefully give you guys some confidence when you guys do have to play a more talented team that, um, you know, can give you different things that these uh, teams that aren't as talented uh, can do. You know, so I think all the big playoff contender uh, games are games to circle. Like that Cincinnati uh, and Dallas game, uh, game I I wish that Dallas had a little bit more in their secondary to add a little bit more fun to it. But, you know, seeing Trayvon Diggs work, work against Jamar Chase is going to be fun. Um, you know, and then Tampa, Tampa Bay is going to be a huge game. And that's week one. That sets the tone of the whole season almost. So, you know, they're really going to have to dig deep within themselves to get that one from Tom because, you know, he's going to want to go in there and play spoiler, um, especially with the retirement, non-retirement. So. Very interesting. So, what about um? Yeah, what do you, what do you think about the schedule? Uh, and what's your uh, prediction on their uh, their record? Yeah, I, I mean, kind of like we talked about when it comes to winning the division uh, with our weekly question there. I really do think you're talking uh, Dallas, Philadelphia, and Washington to win that division. And Dallas has the most talented roster on paper, uh, in my opinion. You know, obviously, like we talked about. There's an argument for the Eagles with some of the uh, holes they filled and the depth that they have at some positions, especially as opposed to, like you just went through, uh, the lack of depth upon a lot of this Cowboys roster, kind of the top-heavy nature of it. But, yeah, I mean, I think 14-3, and and uh, at that point you're probably winning the division is uh, entirely possible. And it really it's going to, uh, you know, you have them uh, sweeping Washington. It's going to come down to games like that. Uh, where, like, can Washington uh, at least take one of those games and take a game away from that 14-3 and record? Uh, you know, are they uh, going to uh, be able to win against Cincinnati? Things like that, just all those big games that you went through. But at the same time, like you mentioned, it's not overall. Like, there's quite a few not awful games in there. Um, and so it's you have the big moments kind of sprinkled throughout. 
uh, but it's not a, a, you know, a totally just rough schedule from start to finish as some of these teams have. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think 14 and three is totally reasonable somewhere in that range. You know, you're talking just depending on how things falls, like I would say, what, 11 and six to 14 and three, anywhere in there would be pretty reasonable. Yeah, I agree, especially um, with the floor being 11 and six. Like, yeah, I think it's pretty reasonable. I just, like, I do see the holes in that schedule. And so I'm like, you guys should be able to beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. Just don't right. play down to them. You know, don't turn over the ball, and we'll be fine. So that's why, honestly, I have them winning so many games. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like you also mentioned, it comes down to – uh, injuries and whether they can stay healthy, especially with this, uh, you know, top heavy roster. If you take a tumble and uh, maybe have some injuries piling up by the end of that season, and a lot of those easy games that you're expected to just get that giant win streak and fill up your your win totals there right at the end from like what well, week seven through well the rest of it week seven through eighteen. I mean, if you're all injured by that point in the season not all of those wins are uh, a given anymore, especially you talk about the Packers, talk about the Colts, you know, maybe even the Vikings can make an upset at that point. Titans potentially, uh, you know, face the Eagles there too. I mean, like there's a lot of game, uh, big games and a lot of uh, easier games in that last stretch. Uh, and just depending on how things uh, go down, it can change. So, uh, but uh, Enrique, did you have anything else for the Dallas Cowboys? Uh, no, if you want to take over and uh, get into the Washington Commanders, you could be my guest. Perfect. Let's fucking do it. So Washington Commanders, uh, you're looking at the general manager being Martin Mayhew, who has been relatively solid so far. Um, he's added some pieces here as we'll go through uh, that uh, are positive. And I mean, you know, obviously not the a lot of turmoil in the Commanders uh, organization going on, especially in the last few years. Um, but when it comes to like the internal staff, as far as football is concerned, it, it seems pretty like, okay. For the last couple of years, especially when you talk about the head coach, Riverboat Ron Rivera, a very respected coach across the league, a uh, longtime coach of the Carolina Panthers brought them to Super Bowl 50, where they got their brakes beaten off by the Denver Broncos and, uh, the remaining like bones of Peyton Manning. Uh, but you know, overall, a very respected coach, and uh, congratulations to him as well. A belated congratulations for beating cancer, I think, last year, if not like the beginning of this year. Uh, so good for him. But uh, yeah, I mean, overall, when you look at that, like it, it's uh, the commanders could be a lot worse off when it comes to their staff, uh, especially a head coach. So moving into their draft class. Their first round pick, Jahan Dotson, wide receiver or wide receiver out of Penn State, uh, and kind of a selection that a lot of people turned their heads at uh, initially. The Washington Commanders did trade down in the first round and then picked him, and he apparently was high on uh, their draft board, um, so they chose him there over some other uh, top wide receivers that, uh, like a lot of people were projecting to go above Jahan Dotson, uh, but. You know, a lot of people are really positive on him. I think he's a very instinctive player. He's a yard-after-catch guy, but he's also got blazing speed, uh, very dynamic. 
and uh, he, he seems like a smart kid too. And so we'll have to see how it goes. But I think the uh, organization, especially as they've gotten into, uh, you know, rookie OTAs and, and all that, rookie minicamp and OTAs and all that, uh, he has been uh, what they ordered, what they expected so far. Uh, so we'll be excited to see what happens there. We'll look at their wide receiver room a little bit as well. Uh, and then at their second pick, second round, number 47, they picked Fidarian Mathis, a defensive tackle out of Bama. Fortunately, uh, unfortunately, a couple uh, Bama players on this list here. But um, he's somebody that uh, I didn't know a ton about, but then during this process, looking more into him, um, he seems like a very, uh, you know, he, he stayed uh, at Alabama for, I think it was four or five years, so a little bit longer uh, than some in the process to get to the NFL. Uh, and he is a, a leader on that Bama defense. He's a big guy that kind of eats up space in the middle and was very helpful to a lot of those blue chip talents that get all those sacks, although he didn't necessarily rack, rack up those same numbers. Um, as a nose tackle, you know, he's, he's very capable of doing his job. Um, and not only that, but he is, uh, from all accounts, seems like a very good kid, a very good uh, leader in progress. Um, and seems like he may end up being, as we'll talk about a little bit later, uh, kind of the long-term future of that position. So uh, for this team. So, and then their third pick, Round three, number 98, Brian Robinson out of uh, Alabama as well. He's a running back. And interestingly, another player from Alabama that also stayed uh, either four or five years and uh, just developed. And he did not actually, I think he only has one year of production. And he was sitting behind all these other talented backs in uh, Alabama and finally got his chance. And then I think he got like, I want to say like 1,300 yards from scrimmage. Um, and was a really solid contributor for them uh, in this past year here. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that's definitely some good depth to add. Uh, round four, number 113, Percy Butler, a safety out of Louisiana. Add some safety help there that they desperately needed. Uh, round four, 144, here's one of the bigger ones, Sam Howell, QB out of North Carolina. Um, we'll talk about the quarterback situation in a second, obviously. But, yeah, I mean, round four, you cannot complain about picking who uh, some people thought was the best quarterback in the draft, bar none. Um, and so we'll have to see how he ends up developing. And uh, yeah, I mean, he's definitely a, a, an interesting option, uh, potentially long-term for this commander's team who uh, has been lacking one. So we'll see. Uh, round five, number 149, Cole Turner, a tight end out of Nevada, uh, needed some tight end help for sure, especially receiving wise. Uh, and that's what he's going to bring. Uh, not much of a blocker, it seems like, but he does, uh, you know, receive pretty well and uses his frame well. And then round seven, Chris Paul, no, not the basketball player, uh, but he is a guard out of Tulsa, uh, just a lot bigger of a guard. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he's obviously some offensive line help there. And then their other seventh-round pick, number 240, Christian Holmes, cornerback out of Oklahoma State, uh, you know, backing out or uh, just adding some depth for that uh, cornerback room. And then your key departures for this team throughout the offseason here. So you look at Brandon Scherf, uh, right guard, who signed with the Jaguars. He played 61% of the snaps last year for this team. Landon Collins, a safety, who remains unsigned and played 61% as well. Eric Flowers, left guard, uh, is, who is also unsigned, played 94%. Obviously, Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, who's a quarterback, retired. 
uh, and moved on to uh, broadcasting now with Amazon. And then Matt Ioannidis, an inside defensive lineman, uh, went over to the Panthers. He played 54%. Adam Humphreys, a wide receiver, he's still not signed, and he played 58%. DeAndre Carter, wide receiver, went to the Chargers, and he played 44%. And then finally, Tim Settle, uh, inside defensive lineman, went over to the Bills, and he only played 19%. I don't know why, but for some reason, I thought that Tim Settle played more than 19% of the snaps for this commander's team, uh, but uh, a solid player nonetheless. And yeah, uh, quite a few solid uh, departures for this team uh, throughout this offseason, but they did fill in some of those holes. So moving on to their roster breakdown, uh, starting with the quarterback, obviously your starter is Carson Wentz, who you brought over in the offseason from the Colts. Uh, you know, I mean, it's going to be one of those things. I feel like we've been saying this throughout the offseason a lot for a bunch of different teams. This is going to live and die by the quarterback. Um, I think when we talked about Terry McLaurin and his contract, like I, I stand with the sentiment that Carson Wentz is like un, pretty much unarguably the best quarterback that at least Terry McLaurin has had in his career. And so byproduct, the best quarterback that the commanders have had in at least like what, two or three years at this point, um, just on paper, even if you're getting the Colts, uh, Carson Wentz from last year, who is still mistake prone, um, but was playing solid football. He wasn't playing great. And he uh, did not show up in the moment where they needed him the most and was inconsistent throughout the season. But it wasn't like totally erratic, which is what we saw at the end of his career with the Eagles, where he was just almost unplayable at that point. Um, so he did improve his level of play. Your hope is that he can improve his level of play even further, but you know, this team is just going to live and die by that. And we're just going to have to see how it goes. Um, yeah. I mean, there's not much else to say on that. It's, you just have to see uh, what he does and uh, you know, behind him, you do obviously have Taylor Heineke, I, to me, I mean, you obviously your season. If Carson Wentz isn't at playing Taylor Heineke, your season is dead before it starts. Um, but at the very least, if Carson Wentz gets injured or something like that, Tyler Heineke has proven himself to be a very solid backup option, uh, and they can at least keep the team from losing. And has played well in big moments, which is specifically what Carson Wentz hasn't done in his career thus far. Um, so, you know, I mean, cause he, you think about what he played like two playoff games for them and he played his first playoff game. I think it was like his second start like ever. And he played well, like, so, I mean, he's got that knack for it. Some people do. And some people don't thus far Carson Wentz seems like he does not have that knack, uh, but Taylor Heineke does. So you've got a, a floor at least there. And then behind them, obviously, your brand-new shiny draft pick, uh, Sam Howell out of North Carolina. Uh, you know, an interesting option. And like I said, a lot of, or some people thought that he was uh, the top quarterback coming out of the draft. Um, and he's going to need to develop, and ideally you don't want to see him at all this year. Um, but eventually, maybe even next year, he might be the only uh, – like he might get rid of Taylor Heineke. He might be your second quarterback on the roster. It depends on what happens with Carson Wentz. I unfortunately, off the top of my head, don't know how many years uh, Carson Wentz has left on his contract. But 
I mean, eventually you're going to get to a point where you have to choose, are you paying Carson Wentz or are you bringing in a different veteran uh, or are you going with Sam Howell? Um, and so you, right now, I think the focus is just develop him as much as you can uh, and do not put him out there if he's not ready. And at least you have Taylor Heineke. I think I, I look at a lot of these other uh, teams that drafted young guys and you kind of cringe a little bit when you're thinking about it, because like, for instance, the Titans, if Ryan Tannehill does get injured or he plays really badly in the game, like at some point there's going to be the temptation to put Malik Willis out there because they don't have that buffer of a second decent uh, backup that's clearly at this point better than the rookie. And you can put out there in those types of situations and leave the young guy just letting him do his thing and not ruining him too soon. You know what I mean? And I think that that's what St. Howell needs. So I think he's good to, uh, in a good situation in that sense. Uh, finally, moving off the quarterback room, running back, you're looking at Antonio Gibson, a very solid option. J.D. McKissick, a very good receiving back or decent receiving back, I should say. And then Brian Robinson out of Alabama, your third round pick, and Jarrett Patterson. And, uh, you know, working in Carson Wentz's favor is this running game for sure. I think this is the deepest running back room we've had in a while, especially when you talk about Brian Robinson, who could potentially be a feature back uh, at some point in his career, if not pretty quickly. Um, and then you've got J.D. McKissick, who you could probably even put out wide, um, and he's just a really solid receiving option out of the backfield, which Carson Wentz doesn't historically use that often, but he's there. And then Antonio Gibson, uh, you kind of not do it all, but uh, fairly well-rounded back who's been solid for them when he's on the field. And now with uh, some depth in that room, hopefully that can, uh, you know, stave off those injuries a little bit with him. Uh, they do run a fullback as well, which is Alex Arma, one of the better ones in the league. Tight end, you have Logan, uh, Logan Thomas, who unfortunately suffered an ACL tear in December, so he's still recovering from that, but one of the better tight ends in the league when he's healthy. Uh, behind him, you have John Bates and then Turner, Turner Cole, your rookie. Um, and, you know, Turner Cole, I think that especially if Logan Thomas isn't 100% uh, initially, Turner Cole could maybe make an impact. I think really all they're looking for him to do because John Bates is uh, more of a blocker and they have a, a blocking tight end. I'm sure they'll try to get uh, Cole Turner or Turner Cole to block more, but he uh, is he historically is not that in college. He's just not a, a blocker, but he's got skill on the receiving end. And especially if Logan Thomas isn't hundred percent, they're definitely going to need that with this offense. Uh, so he's, he might get some snaps pretty early. Uh, a wide receiver. You're looking at Terry McLaurin, obviously the big man with the big money and Curtis Samuel, uh, came over from Carolina, I think, two years ago now. Jahan Dotson, their brand-new draft pick out of the first round. Diami Brown, and then Cam Sims, and Alex Erickson also coming over from Carolina this offseason. Um, and so I think this is an interesting room because you talk about Terry McLaurin as one of the better wide receivers in the entire league um, and will probably play better with Carson Wentz as his quarterback in theory. Um and then Carter, Curtis Samuel has not lived up to the expectations since he's been traded, and I think has dealt with some injury as well. Um, and Jahan Dotson, you're you're expecting to be a, uh, you know, part of this offense pretty quickly. Uh, behind him, Deami Brown is pretty much unproven, but could potentially be a weapon there. 
Um, but yeah, it does look like uh, Jahan Dotson is expected to be, uh, you know, part of this offense. So um, my my problem with this room, looking at it, is that you have almost no big wide receivers, like at all. I think uh, I would have to double check it, unless Terry McLaurin is like just over six foot, like six one or something. I don't think that any of these top four wide receivers in McLaurin. Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dotson, or Diami Brown are over six foot. And so you've got smaller guys running out there and like they can do a ton of damage and that's fine, but they're just lacking that big wide receiver presence, that go ball kind of guy, uh, the jump ball kind of guy who can, uh, you know, maybe do a dig in the middle of the field would just be a big target. Uh, there's a lot of versatility that they lack without that. Uh, and so that's my only question in this wide receiver room. Otherwise, you're looking pretty decent on paper with Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and Jahan Dotson, and then if Deami Brown can DH something. Um, so it's a solid room, but with questions leading me to think it's not like one of the best rooms in the league, uh, despite Terry McLaurin being one of the better receivers in the entire league. So moving on to their offensive line here, left tackle, you have Charles, Charles Leno, who they brought back uh, short term, I think just a one-year contract. Um, and then Cornelius Lucas behind him. Left guard, you have Andrew Norwell, who you brought over from Jacksonville, a solid enough option uh, to replace Brennan, oh, not Brennan Truth, but Eric Flowers, uh, who you lost in the offseason. And then behind him, Sadiq Charles and Nolan Rothenberg. And at center, you're looking at Chase Rouillet, and then Tyler Larson and Keith Ismail. Uh, solid at center, but not fantastic. Right guard, you brought in Tri Turner from Pittsburgh. Uh, solid enough to replace Brandon Scherf, but I do think Scherf is certainly a better option uh, than Tri Turner was. And then, or Tri Turner is. And Wes uh, Schweitzer behind him. And then Chris Paul, no, not the basketball player, uh, leading out that room. At right tackle, Sam Cosme, who's been decent, I think, first round pick of, uh, I want to say last year, if not like 2019, maybe. Um, but, you know, pretty recent here, and he's still developing. John Bates behind him, and then Aaron Montero. And that'll do it for the offense. That offensive line, obviously, you brought in two new pieces with Andrew Norwell and uh, Tri Turner, and then you're really not uh, – you don't have super solid options when it comes to Charles Leno and Sam Cosme uh, at the tackle spot, and then Chase Louie uh, at the center spot. They've kind of just met. So I think that this honestly might be one of the biggest uh, questions for this roster is what can you get out of this offensive line and is it enough to uh, let Carson Wentz in this running game do their thing? Uh, because if, if it isn't, then that's going to stop you dead in your tracks as well. Um, so moving on to the defense here. Uh, well, actually on the offense, the only, thing I, uh, the only other thing I would say is like, if you can get the offensive line to be working well, and Carson Wentz is doing his thing. On paper, this this is a solid offense. You have the running game there. You have the weapons. Uh, you know, especially if Turner Cole can produce early, and Logan Thomas comes back well uh, from his ACL injury. You have a solid wide receiver room, if not great. Uh, and you know, you just need the, that offensive line and Carson Wentz to be good enough. They don't have to be amazing; just good enough. And this can be a, a good offense. 
Um, and with this defense that we're going to go through, you don't necessarily have to be a great offense to uh, compete for a playoff spot. So this defense, you're in a base 4-3, uh, so meaning four defensive linemen and three linebackers. Uh, and then we'll start from the safeties and go down. A free safety, you're looking at Bobby McCain, came over from the Dolphins uh, a year or two ago, I believe. And then he's been, he's been a solid option there at free safety. Uh, Percy Butler, your fourth-round pick. And he, Percy Butler, appears to be more of a uh, special teams pick initially that can maybe develop into starting material, potentially starting material, but at least backup material. Um, right now, I don't know if you're going to be putting him out there. Um, and then behind him, you have Jeremy Reeves. At strong safety, you have Cameron Curl, and then Derek Forrest and Troy Apke. So obviously wanting a little bit more from that position there. Cornerback, you're looking at Kendall Fuller. William Jackson the third came up from the Bengals, uh, if not last year, the year before. And then Benjamin St. Juiced, a young guy that's still developing. Christian Holmes, your seventh-round pick this year. And Danny Johnson, and then Josh Tradem, and undrafted free agent rounds out that room. Uh, so, you know, on the surface, you're pretty solid here. When you talk about Kendall Fuller and William Jackson being your starting two quarterbacks, uh, you could be a lot worse off there. And then after that, you look, start to look a little bit more shaky. Uh, Benjamin St. Juiced has upside, but has not proven himself yet. And then Christian Holmes, obviously, coming in as a rookie. And the other guys, uh, you'll just have to see what you can get out of. But uh, the first two are at least looking solid. Uh, at inside linebacker, you have Jem and Davis, uh, their young guy there, Cole Holcomb, and then David Mayo. So those three are going to be, uh, like we said, in the 4-3 defense. Those are your projected starters uh, at weak, middle, and strong linebacker there. Um, and so, you know, I mean, I think Jim and Davies, obviously, you have the upside there, still developing. David Mayo, a little bit more of a veteran uh, and solid enough option, uh, but could look to upgrade there at some point. Um, and, yeah, Cole Holcomb, uh, just got to see what you can get out of him. Uh, but surrounded by decent enough other guys. Kaliki Hudson behind them. Dijon Harris and then Milo Eifler. And at your inside defensive line spots, Jonathan Allen and Duran Payne, the big boys up front. Um, obviously, you lose Ioannidis and Settle, who were uh, big parts of this defensive line. And, uh, you know, that's kind of a theme for this team is they've been losing some of those guys, uh, you know, some of those big defensive parts uh, that they've uh, kind of made an identity with just because you can't pay everyone. Um, and Duran Payne, going into the last year of his contract, looks like he may be victim to that as well because um, they've got to put the money at other places potentially. And that's where Fidarian Mathis behind those two guys comes in, uh, your second round pick from Alabama. Uh, it may be a situation, especially if Mathis can develop quickly enough and uh, get some snaps in there, get some good film. Uh, Deron Payne may be a, a free agent that walks next year. Um, so we'll just have to see how that situation plays out. But for now, We've got a little bit of a, a, you know, collection of riches here. You talk about Jonathan Allen and Durant Payne, and then the new fresh rookie who uh, looks to be a potential star if he develops right uh, behind them. And then Justin Hamilton behind all those guys and Tyler Clark to run out that room. So definitely one of the strengths on the roster. At defensive end, you're looking at Chase Young and then Montez Sweat. Obviously, the other two uh, big stars on that defense and uh, not a whole lot to complain about there. I, 
hurt me if you know Enrique, but I feel like Sweat's contract might be coming up too because I don't think he's been paid yet. And Chase Young still got what like at least three years, but he was a uh, first round pick though, so probably four. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, a solid room there for sure uh, behind them. James Smith Williams and then F.A. Obata uh, was a contributor with the Bills there. Casey Tuhill and then Daniel Wise and Shaka Tony rounding up that room. So uh, some very solid guys at the top of that and then some upside guys behind them. Uh, definitely that defensive line, uh, the most talented part of this uh, commander's roster. And then at special teams, you're looking at kicker, Joey Sly, and then punter, Tress Way. Uh, not a whole lot to complain about there. Uh, those guys have been fairly consistent, if not, you know, I mean, not like amazing, but doing their jobs. Storyline-wise, uh, first one is, can Carson Wentz take you to the promised land? And, I mean, we talked about this before. Like, it's everything's going to ride on him and how well he can play. It's worth, note, worth noting that he's uh, learning a different scheme than he's used to. Um, and so, although this scheme may fit him better, uh, he does have to learn and does have to, uh, you know, adjust to that, uh, as well as new teammates and new everything, uh, once again, coming over from the Colts. And so, you know, we'll just have to see how that uh, ends up. At number two, they have a tough middle stretch. Uh, or I'm sorry, those are my schedule thoughts. And number two, we have can this defense overcome underperforming last year to help this team firmly or get firmly in the playoffs? And, uh, you know, I mentioned a little bit like this defense is good enough to carry this team to playoff contention, uh, but they have to play that way. Obviously, you saw them do that in 2020. They played really well, got the play or got the uh, commanders into the playoffs. Uh, even with Taylor Heineke at the helm there um, and, you know, played well. Um, and then 2021, they took a step back, obviously losing some uh, parts of that roster, um, but did take a step back nonetheless. If they could rebound this year, could be a lot better for them. Uh, number three, they do have lack of depth in some key spots. Uh, for me, that comes to the wide receiver, so you're talking about Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, and Jahan Dotson. But then behind them, we talked about uh, just not of a lot of proven guys. Deami Brown, Kim Sims, and Alex Erickson. Uh, not a lot of uh, proven production there behind your top three wide receivers. And you're lacking that size that we talked about as well. Uh, cornerback room, obviously, like we said, you talked about those two big guys in Kendall Fuller and William Jackson the third. Uh, but then behind them, Benjamin St. Just and uh, Christian Holmes and all those guys, uh, you are, you know, looking for them to step up uh, as young guys for sure. And then, you know, safety, are uh, you talking about Bobby McCain being the most solid name in that, uh, both free safety and strong safety. Other than that, you're looking at the rookie in Percy Butler, who's going to be more of a special teams guy initially, probably. Uh, Jeremy Reeves, Cameron Curl is your other starter, Derek Forrest and Troy Aki. Uh, that definitely uh, could uh, use an upgrade in the safety room. Uh, and then inside linebacker, you talk about Jamin Davis and David Mayo, um, your young guy and your veteran, you know, leading out that room, and then everybody else uh, relatively unproven. And, you know, finally, the offensive line. And we talked about that really may be, other than Carson Wentz, the biggest question 
for that offense. And if they can't uh, sustain a level of play that's going to keep Carson Wentz and that running game uh, comfortable, then this offense isn't going anywhere. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, with that, Enrique, what are your thoughts uh, on this roster? Yeah, I mean, one thing I will, I'll, I'll say about this roster is, uh, although it does have talent on it, I, I do worry about um, do worry about Carson Wentz a little bit. Um, obviously, I I mean, I do recognize that he has talent. I do recognize that at one time, you know, he was honestly like an MVP candidate um, for how he was playing out in Philadelphia and. He received a huge contract um, and has been moved. You know, now this is his uh, third team that he's played for. Um, and I, I, if I'm being honest with you, I, I do think that this is kind of like his last straw as far as being a starting quarterback and being a starting quarterback that, um, you know, can win some games. I, I really do think that, you know, this Washington Commanders team you know, has enough talent on the roster, especially on the defensive side of the ball, to make some noise. Um, we just need to see, you know, that happen. And I think Carson Wentz is a big factor in how um, how successful they're going to be, obviously, with being their starting quarterback. Um, so, yeah, and I mean, the Colts, you know, the Colts were kind of let down by him last year. Uh, so he's definitely looking to kind of maximize his potential and maximize his uh, chance there. Getting another chance to be a starting quarterback, uh, you know, with uh, with the Washington Commanders. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see uh, Chase Young. I'm excited to see some of his defense again. Um, I think the defense could be killer, um, especially if Chase Young's able to come back healthy. But, yeah, I think it's a good enough roster. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Like you said, it's all just going to depend on Carson Wentz there. So uh, with that, we can go right into the schedule. Their 2021 record was 7-10. and 10. Uh, So obviously hoping to do better than that. But um, And 7-10 and 10 is pretty impressive with Taylor Heineke for pretty much the entire season, to be fair. So, uh, But in the defense underperforming as well. So, But anyways, uh, for this year's schedule, week one, your versus the Jacksonville Jaguars at home. I have that as a win. Week two is at the Detroit Lions. I have that as a win. Week three versus the Philadelphia Eagles at home win. And I do have them uh, splitting with Philadelphia, obviously. I, I think that is something that depending on how good the Eagles are or I guess vice versa, I think it's more likely that the Eagles are better than the Commanders than it is that the Commanders are better than the Eagles. But I do think that's one of those ones where if one of those two teams separates, they could sweep uh, the other. But I do have them uh, splitting. And then week four at Dallas Cowboys, I have that as a loss. Week five versus the Tennessee Titans, I have that as a loss. But that's a big game. And I, I hesitated with giving that a loss because, as we've talked about the Tennessee Titans, uh, you are relying on a young receiver to get good and to be, uh, you know, pr- like produced pretty quickly, um, especially when you're facing the Washington Commanders here at week five. Um, and so we don't necessarily know what exactly the Tennessee Titans are going to look like. Um, but for that matter, at this point in the offseason, 
it's hard to predict what any of your team necessarily going to look like. So, um, yeah, I have that as a loss, but that, I also have that as a big game for them that could go either way. Week six at Chicago Bears. This is a Thursday game, but I do have it as a win. And I also have that as a big game because of the fact that it is on Thursday. You have that short week right after the Tennessee Titans game, uh, which, you know, even if the wide receiving core isn't doing your thing, you still have Derrick Henry to contend with. So that's not necessarily a pushover game, even at uh, the Tennessee Titans' worst. And they still have a, a good defense as well. Uh, so coming off a bigger game, going right into uh, what should be an easier game against the Bears, but on the Thursday. So we'll have to see. Week 7, there versus the Green Bay Packers uh, at home. I have that as a loss. Week 8, at Indianapolis against the Colts. I have that as a loss as well. Week 9 versus the Vikings at home. I have that as a win. Week 10 at the Eagles. I have that one as a loss, obviously splitting there. Week 11 at Houston Texans. I have that as a win. Week 12 versus the Atlanta Falcons is a win as well. Week 13 at the New York Giants. I have that as a win. And then week 14 is your bye week. Week 15 at the New York Giants, or I'm sorry, versus the New York Giants. That is a win as well, so sweeping the Giants. Week 16 at San Francisco 49ers. I have this as a win and a big game as well. Again, one of those ones, and we've said this on other predictions, uh, we just don't necessarily know what the 49ers are going to be. You know, they could be trotting out Jimmy Garoppolo at this point again. You know what I mean? And so uh, it could be Trey Lance. We don't know how good Trey Lance is going to be. Does Jimmy Garoppolo get traded like before the trade deadline, which is uh, week eight, and you're playing them in week 16? And so, you know, at that point, are you with Trey Lance? Well, like, we just have no idea at this point what exactly is going to be the situation leading into, especially a week 16 game. But as far as the rosters right now, and uh, I have that as a win for the commanders, and then week 17. There versus the Cleveland Browns. I have that as a loss. If Deshaun is there and a win, uh, if Deshaun isn't there. Uh, and then week 18, finishing it off, you have versus the Dallas Cowboys. I have that as a win, splitting with the Dallas Cowboys. And again, another one where the Cowboys could potentially speak, uh, sweep the commanders. I don't know that the commanders uh, are very likely to sweep the Dallas Cowboys, but in some universe, I'm sure it happens. Um, but I think that for me, I think, like I said, those, those teams, uh, you have Dallas Cowboys, Washington Commanders, and then the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. And I think all three of those are going to be contending for number one in this division, potentially, just depending on how their situations play out. Um, and especially with the Commanders, how Carson Wentz and that offensive line, uh, you know, plays out throughout the season. But For now, I have them splitting with both the Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles. So overall, my uh, record prediction, I have them at 11 uh, and 6 if Carson and the defense play well. And if not, I have them at 9 and 8. And so the reasoning for that, you overall have kind of an easy schedule. I mean, we were talking about it with these other MSC's teams. You have a lot of easier games um, no offense to the Giants, but the Giants are easy games. And you have a bye week separating them too. You get to come back home, take your bye week, and then face the Giants second time in a row. Uh, and then 
you know, you're talking about like you have Houston, you have Atlanta. The Vikings are not necessarily an easy game, but they're not a hard game either. Just one of those ones. You know, you're talking about Chicago Bears, even though they're on a Thursday. Uh, and then you open up the season with the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Detroit Lions, um, which is, you know, one of my scheduled thoughts here. You start off with Jacksonville and Detroit. In theory, you can get the ball rolling on your wins there. Um, start strong if Carson Wentz is playing well. And then your first test is going to be week three against those Eagles. Uh, and it starts to get a little tougher from there. And you have that tough middle stretch. Talking about facing the Eagles twice, then the Cowboys once, the Titans, the Packers, and the Colts. Um, so that's really where it gets tougher. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you ease off a little bit towards the end there. You get those Giants games. Uh, maybe the 49ers is a uh, difficult game, just depending. They have a good roster, but obviously that quarterback situation. Um, and then, you know, a little bit harder towards that end. But overall, really not that bad of a schedule, and it plays in their favor. Um, you know, it just depends on Carson. Um, so Enrique, what are your thoughts on the schedule? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree with you. I think that the commanders have a pretty favorable schedule as far as some of the teams they have to, they have to play. But I think like your big game uh, against the Titans uh, in week five that you have circles, yeah, I think that is a huge game. Um, but the, the thing that I would say is the biggest surprise factor for me about the schedule is how late their bye week is all the way yeah. down there at week 14 and that could be a good and a bad thing um depending on how the season's going you know if you're having a really good season uh late bye week you know it could be really nice um you know gives you like an extra week especially you know as you're getting towards the end of the season where your guys might be beat up um you know that could be like a pivotal uh, a pivotal uh, bye week because if you know maybe someone's hurt you know you can rest them that week get them back the week after um, but also the thing about a late bye week like that as well is you know sometimes a bye week can kind of stop the slide of a bad season as well yeah. you know sometimes you're losing a few games in a row your bye week comes kind of stops that you're able to turn that around um, so with having your bye week all the way down in week 14, it kind of prevents you being able to do that. Um, but I, I do agree. I, I do think that the games that you have them losing, um, I think are well-deserved. Um, like, I, I, I do think that Carson has some talent, and I do think that he – I'm hoping that he's able to unleash that with the commanders this year because, I mean, who wants to see a bad football team ever? You know, like – I don't want to see bad football. Um, I'd love to, to see if the commanders were a viable threat. Um, I don't. I don't necessarily think without him playing, is, are they a viable threat? So I think we should root for Carson to have a strong season. That way we can get awesome divisional football come you know playoff time and et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. But I mean, the last few weeks of the season. Um, I think can be very pivotal, uh, pivotal for them as well, because you got the Giants who are a division rival, you got the 49ers, that's a huge game um, in Week 16. Because I mean, honestly, two NFC teams could be, uh, you know, could be about playoff uh, seating at that point. You know, so that's a huge game. 
Um, especially if you can take out uh, such a threat in the 49ers. You know, like the 49ers are a playoff threat next year. Um, and depending on how good Trey Lance is, um, you know, it could be a very um, highly touted uh, NFC uh, rival coming in. And if you have to play them late in the season, it could be a good and a bad thing, you know. Um, and then the Cleveland Browns, I think – I don't. I don't personally think they're going to have Deshaun. Um, so I do think that this is probably going to be a win for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just depends. Um, also, maybe the Browns figure something else out as far as quarterback wise um, to give them a little bit more of a like viable threat as far as quarterbacks go. But um, if it's going to be um, Jacoby Brissett coming out there, starting for the Browns, like I think it's going to be then. I think that the uh, commanders can get it done. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, obviously, I, I think that if Carson plays his best football, he can, the team could compete with the Eagles and with the Cowboys uh, right there in the NFC East. So I'm wondering, I'm just wondering if they can take advantage of a pretty decent schedule and um, if Carson, Carson can just have a MVP comeback type of year. So if he's able to do that and take advantage of the schedule, I think that the command should be good. But yeah, dude. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you brought a lot of great thoughts, especially with the bye week. Uh, I think that's a great point. Is if your season is going a good way, uh, a late bye week is nice for the playoffs. And if it's not going so great, it's kind of nice to have it earlier and give you a break earlier in the season and maybe stop a, a you know, slide of losing some games. So that'll be an interesting thing to see how it plays out. And as we talked about, uh, you know, and you just talked about as well, it's it's just going to depend on Carson Wentz uh, because this team is going to live and die by the quarterback play. And I think unless he – if he can at least just be Colts Carson Wentz, you know what I mean, this defense really does have uh, the capability – and the offensive talent around Carson Wentz, apart from the offensive line, does have the capability to, to do decent things. When you talk about 7-10, and 10, that's a better record than the Denver Broncos with more talent on the roster, in my opinion, uh, you know, as a Denver Broncos fan. Um, got with, with that roster and Teddy Bridgewater, and they did it with Taylor Heineke. You know what I mean? Like, so that's a testament to not only the, the strength of the defense – but also the talent of Antonio Gibson and Terry McLaurin and uh, like Logan Thomas and some of those offensive weapons that have uh, outplayed, and especially in Terry McLaurin's case, uh, outplayed the quarterback play and offensive line play that they have been given. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to have to see how it goes. But I do genuinely think because of the strength of the roster around Carson, even if he's not playing amazing, this roster can probably pull out a lot of those easier games and still get you a decent uh, record. You just may not go anywhere in the playoffs. So if you if you want actual contending chances, that's where you need Carson Wentz to be playing. Um, yeah, we'll just have to see. So I think that is going to do it for this part of today's show. Join us on the Mile High Fight Show, Episode 6, as we jump into the fight night, headlined by Rafael Dos Anjos versus Rafael Fiziv. With that, this has been the Mile High Flight Show, and we'll see you guys next week.
Awesome. Thanks, guys.